This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text or as the text is presented on the screens above. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'd like to invite uh, Lori Bennell and also Karen Hilliker to come on up. And um, I'm going to, I want to say, I'm going to introduce Lori first and then she'll do a little interview with Karen. Uh, Lori is um, very busy these days and she is, she said yes to being our um, director of outreach, which is a, a nebulous title, um, but she's doing that. And now she's also our interim youth pastor. So, hey, pray for Lori, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So as you're functioning in this role as the outreach, under the outreach hat, and yeah. Well, and Karen Hilliker happens to be one of our wonderful leaders for our middle school Ignite program. And I just love the story that Karen told me about how her family is talking about bless at home and praying together about how they can be blessings to others. So as you um, prayed, Karen, individually, beginning with prayer, what did that look like for you? So as we started this um, service, uh, the series, I was struck with the thought that there are so many ways to be um, a blessing to others that I miss due to busyness or my schedule. And so I really intentionally prayed to to um, just be prompted for ways that I could be a blessing just in my normal life, um, um, I, that my eyes could be open, that I could see ways that I could be that blessing. I also pray with my children um, before they go to school every morning, and I added that piece into it too, so that just for them to start thinking about it, they're teenagers, so um, it's a way to just start that conversation and plant that seed for them. Great, and as you prayed and listened in your work environment, um, what did you hear and how did you respond to that? So at my office, it's a small office, and um, one of the ladies is going through a um, life transition right now, and um, she was just sharing with us just in general that it was really hard to get the kids out the door in the morning um, and try to make a lunch for herself. And with her new budget um, that is a little more constrained, she was struggling with then affording lunch um, while she was at the office. It's $10 a day if you don't pack your lunch, pretty much, right? That's an average. And um, so I just, I just took that as, um, as a way to bless. And so I sent a text to them all on, this was two Sundays ago, and Monday morning showed up with a crock pot of um, some soup and the things that go with that. And um, the interesting thing was that um, 
as an office, we're busy, so we all usually get our lunches and sit down at our desks and just kind of keep working. You know, we don't really take that time, but we didn't this time. We gathered, and I hadn't even really thought about that part, but it worked. We kind of gathered around our table, and we all ate our food, and uh, we actually shared outside of just work things. We, we didn't talk business. We talked our kids, and we talked things that were happening in our lives. So, um, And that food actually lasted for three full lunches, three full days, and I really thought it was going to last maybe two, but it went for three, and that was really, it was nice. That's great. And Karen also shared with me how she had the opportunity to pray for someone that she works with um, about something that came up while they were having conversations over lunch. So I love Karen's story and that it reminds us that sometimes the simplest things that we do, God just multiplies and does amazing things um, for his kingdom through our efforts. So thank you, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, thanks for <clears throat> So our um, focus today is on serve with love. And um, I have a theory. Let me test it out on you guys. There was a book written 20 years ago. It's kind of a classic. Uh, it's for marriage. And it's called The Five What? Love language. Yeah, some of you have read that, and uh, your marriages are better for it. It's, the theory is that we each have different love languages, and we assume that the person we married has the same love language as we do, and how does that work for you? <laughs> Not so much. So you, 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 know, you find out how to love in their language. And uh, my theory is that taking that concept and applying it to today in terms of what lets people know that they're loved by God it's when they're served. And so here's, here's the five love languages, but it's acts of service. When people see God's people serving, they know it's real and they know that they're loved. It's, it's a currency uh, of love that is for our culture today more than ever before, I think. Uh, words just don't cut it. And so uh, keep that in mind. I want to illustrate that point. Uh, in the news this week, obviously, Las Vegas was uh, at the top. And I'm going to share one story of many that, if you, if you were to sort of Google uh, heroes of the week, uh, this is one story that I found. And it has to do with two young, identical twin sisters, 17 years old. And I'll give you their pictures here. Um, maybe. There we go. Twin sisters. Uh, it's uh, Natalia is on the left. And... Um, Oh boy, I can't. It starts with a G. It's not Gina, but um, Gianna. There you go, Gianna. Baca is their last name, and they're 17 years old. It turns out they go to a uh, Lutheran school in, um, I think it's in New York, and uh, they were there in in Las Vegas at the uh, music festival. When the, when the shooting, interesting, when the shooting started and when they kind of figured out what was going on, they were holding hands praying. Now maybe they should have run or, you know, say, think what you want. I don't know the whole story, but they were holding hands praying and they were both hit by fire. And Natalia on the left is, uh, was life-threatening injuries. And... Uh, but they were, it was obviously a huge thing in their lives. Now, what happened next is um, that a, a firefighter from Tacoma, actually, this guy is from Tacoma, Dean McCauley, 
uh, he began to, uh, his, he was with friends, and his friend says, we got to get out of here, we got to run. And he says, no, it's time for me to work. That was his line to his friends. Thank God for those kind of people in our world. And he came across the, these two girls and began to do what he does. And uh, the, the care and the first aid, the triage, the staying with them, being with them, taking care of the shock. I mean, just all this stuff. And her, the, the father, uh, just there was, a, there was some moments of interaction there this week where he was able to thank him for saving Natalia's life. And his, one of his, the things that he said was, in reflecting upon that time, was that we saw the worst of humanity and we saw the best. Isn't that a good thing? It's not, it's not just the worst. Evil is very real in our world. All right, so, uh, but you, we love that. We, people see that and they know it wakes you up to that to, to really to a love that's greater than ourselves when you see that, which is really what God is all about, who God is. Now, little things, uh, the things that Karen was talking about here uh, is more where we would focus in this, in this series. We're focusing on serving people with love and we think about our friends and our relatives and our acquaintances and our neighbors and our coworkers. And in your uh, worship folder, there are some suggestions here on how to serve people. These are just ideas. Uh, having dinner at your home or a restaurant, serving through small acts of kindness. Um, it, it just give you some ideas of how to serve people. That's all it's meant to do. But each of us has the capacity. Uh, God has placed us in relational webs for a purpose. And uh, think about what those purposes are and how you can serve someone else. Now, I, I don't want to... When, when the church, people like me, begin talking about serving, we can easily go in a particular direction, and it has to do with this phrase. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this one and go to this one. Try harder to be good and do the things you should. You heard that, or can't, you're, you, maybe that thought has come through your head. So let's just say that together. Would you do that with me? Try harder to be good and do the things I should. Okay. Now, that is okay. I don't want to say that's, that, that's bad. It's just that that's what we would call religion, and there is a better way. There is a more life-giving way than that, than trying harder and um, letting that word should have its way with us can feel pretty heavy sometimes and we feel guilty uh, and short term gain when you when pastors say you should do something people usually do something and then we go back into our, our, our whatever our long term patterns are so I, I, I'm trying to get to a deeper place a root of this whole thing and guess what it has to do with the person of Jesus Christ so we're going to have a time at the end here where you can allow some more room in your heart for Jesus, the source of love. And the story that was read for us will illustrate that. So we're in, we're in a series that's five weeks, but we hope it goes on forever. Begin with prayer. And this board up here has names of people who we have, you guys have, all of us have put names up here uh, of people to pray for. And listen with care. Last week we talked about eating together. And how did you do on eating this week, by the way? <laughs> That's a joke, but you didn't get it. Anyway, um, 
And then today is serve, uh, serve with love. Next week we'll be on sharing our stories. So serving with love. And, and today, um, here's our, the text was read for us. We're just going to walk through. It's a very short text, very meaningful text. Uh, and we're going to look at the time that we're, we're going to hover over that word time. It's mentioned in the text. And then the jarring surprise that we find in verses two through five. And then we'll look at some ways this applies to us. Three things. Okay. So the time, let me read verse one for you. And um, it was just before, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. So we know enough to, to guess that that was sometime in spring, roughly 30 AD, uh, approaching the Passover feast, the great feast of, of Israel. And this is on a Thursday night. At least that's what the tradition tells us. We believe it was on a Thursday night. So we, we identify this uh, chronological time. Today is October 8th, is that right? And it's uh, 11.30. And so we are in chronological time right now. And you can look on your calendar and you understand how time, how we, how we divide it up and, and uh, all of that. But there's another kind of time here. And um, it says in verse 1 that Jesus knew that the time had come for him or the hour had come, it gets translated different ways, either the time or the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So you have, you have this illustration here of the two Greek words, and you may have heard these words before. Uh, the first one is chronos, the root of our word chronological time. It's measured time, it's linear time, calendar time, 24 hours a day, 60 minutes to the hour. Number of tasks you get accomplished in that time is somehow the way we keep score. And then it's anecdotally named after a Greek god who devours his children. <laughs> That's just thrown in there for fun. But yeah, it might, it might have some meaning though when you think about time and how you get crunched. Do you ever get time crunched? You feel like you're in the vice of time and all that stuff. So there's that kind of time. It's going on, and it's fairly measurable. It, physics can explain it to a certain degree, although there's still a little mystery there. Uh, that you know, The philosophers or the people who think about time, they lose me after their second sentence, uh, typically. But uh, that's what we're talking about with chronological time. And then there's kairos time, the time or the, the right time, or the opportune moment. It, think, of, think of time that is pregnant with meaning and purpose, ready to give birth. And that's get you closer to what is going on here with Jesus. Um, it's when time seems to slow down, or stand still, or maybe speed up, but it's, not, it's just not functioning in the way it normally does. And if you think about your life, the scrapbook of your life, those, those major moments in your life, uh, this, is, this is what we're talking about here. And it can be either a really uh, wonderful th- or a tragic thing or a wonderful thing. And so that for that, on chronological time in the Las Vegas uh, tragedy, it was from 10.05 to 10.15 that the bullets were flying, 10 minutes. Now, how, how, do, how do you think those 10 minutes seemed to those who were there? And that helps you understand uh, what we're talking about. You're, you're, it's like you're outside of time as you see somebody fall next to you or, or, or as you see somebody who is putting their life on the line trying to save other people 
or you're that person trying to save other people. I mean, it's just, so time in these, it, it takes on a different dimension. Uh, however, on the other side of the, uh, the coin, think about when, if you're married, when you stood in a place like this and you said, I do, as you looked that other person in the eye and you had no idea what you were saying, I do too, but you did. And how rich that moment was and the, the cameras were flashing and you're trying to capture that moment in time. Or when you have uh, the birth of a child, the, it's not just time. It does, yes, it, they, in, the, in the record somewhere it says that this child was born at 7.32 in the morning on this date and such and such. Yeah, but it was way more than that. Time is not just a flat line. It's got kairos moments in it. Um, so for Jesus, uh, this is where I want to go here, this was a kairos moment for him. The time had come he is the Passover lamb. He knows that. He talks about the Passover. He's the Passover lamb that's going to get sacrificed. The cross is just hours in front of him. This is a pregnant time for him. And whatever he does or says right now is really, really significant. Um, so there's, our, um, there's that. And... Um, the other thing is, I just want to point out that this teaching that begins in chapter 17, or I'm sorry, chapter 13, goes all the way to uh, chapter 17. It's the longest teaching we have of Jesus, five chapters, longer than anything anywhere else. So he's trying to train his disciples to do life after he's gone. All right, so what's the jarring surprise? Let me get back to our, if I can get back to the... Um, Outline. Our jarring surprise is um, in verses 2 and 3. Uh, having uh, loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love, and the evening meal was being prepared, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things un under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So here's, here's how I would set this up. Is that we have a bad guy in the story, right? Whose name is Judas Iscariot. And he's in league with the devil. There's a, a bit of a conspiracy there that we can't quite fathom. But that's what the story tells us. And then the next thing that the scripture tells us is that Jesus has all power. It's from his father. So if I were reading this story, as I read stories to my grandson, uh, who's uh, six years old, over the years, I've noticed some patterns in these stories. When, when you have this kind of moment, what you'd expect next is bad guys, good guy has power, what? And then Jesus stomped on him and crushed him, and that was the end of that, and the good guys won, and the Seahawks won. No, uh, he loves that too. He always wants to know who the he always wants to know who the Seahawks are, and then he wants to know who the bad guys are. That's how it works with him. But it's very black and white. And that's what you'd expect in this story, though, is you identify the good guy, you identify the bad guy, the good guy has the power, and the bad guys lose. It's not what happens. This is the jarring thing that happens. Instead, Jesus takes off his coat, 
his over his outer garment, and he puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the feet of all there, including Judas. Think about that. Judas, who would betray him, Peter, who would deny him, and the other ten who would desert him. That's whose feet he washed, and no one else's. <laughs> so uh, there's a, a very, very surprising thing that happens here. Now, what's really surprising, socially surprising, in terms of the etiquette of the day, is that it was always the job of not just the servant in the house, but the very, very lowest servant in the house to wash the feet of the guests as they came in in that hot, dirty climate, which that was not a good job to have to wash feet. What would I compare it to? Can you imagine our president going down to the Mexican border and washing the feet of the immigrants that come across? I mean, I don't know what to compare it to. (laughs) Only it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. And this is where uh, Paul... So there's, there's this socially jarring thing that happens, and then there's a theologically jarring thing that happens that they couldn't see then, but we can see now because we've had more time to uh, reflect on who Jesus really is. And they were just in the moment trying to figure out, what's he doing down there washing feet? But Paul, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it's called the Christ hymn. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You can look it up if you want. But Paul uh, identifies Christ as the eternal Son of God, existing before time, before chronological time. The Son of God existed outside of time with the Father. And from there, out of a mystery we call love, he emptied himself who was in essence God and came into our world as a man and not just a man, that's pretty low in terms of the, you know, comparing with God, but a servant, not just a servant, but the lowest form of slave as he's illustrating here and he's showing us what God is like. This is what God is like, descending into our world and becoming lower than anybody in this room will ever be. And then going even lower, dying on a cross. This is the the stepping down that Paul describes in that great hymn. And then it goes up, but we don't have time for that. So how do you describe this juxtaposition of the highest to the lowest? That's what we're dealing with here. I mean, we, we, this, when the Seahawks and our, our stars go visit children in the hospital, you get just a little taste of that. But this is way more than that. It's an amazing thing. Theologically jarring. Okay. So um, let's get to these three kind of hovering questions that we might want to ask of the text. We notice that this Kairos moment for Jesus um, is... In, it's, it's invested with huge meaning. I've already pointed that out. And my question to us is, how many times in our lives do you think, and I'm not doing this to make you feel guilty, but just to get you to think more deeply, how many Kairos moments have you missed? Those moments when there's a window that's opened up and you don't see it. 
in, if you think about the scrapbook of your life, you might think of the pages that are empty that you don't even know what should have gone there. I mean, there's just things that because typically we're too busy, right? We haven't allowed enough margin in our lives to allow whatever the unexpected, the, the, those interruptions in life that become the biggest things in life. Um, we just don't have time for them. We've crammed our calendars just way too full. So I'll tell this story on myself. My, my uh, youngest son, um, Sam, uh, this was about maybe eight years ago, uh, was in a very uh, a relationship that we thought was going to end in marriage, and he had the ring. The timing of this was amazing, and he was ready to ask her, and then she called him while he was a 1,000 miles out in Alaska in a village and said she doesn't want to go there anymore. And he was heartbroken. He was absolutely heartbroken. So it was on the 4th of July, 2010-ish, I don't remember, but it was on the 4th of July, chronological times. And for him, it was a Kairos moment. And he just starts crying on the phone. And I mean, I could barely make out what he was saying. But I, I finally realized this is, wow, this is a big deal. When you have the ring and, and, it, and then it's over. And I remember thinking at the time, thinking of my calendar. This is what I, this is, I've, I'll confess this, thinking of, can I get to where, how do I get to where he is and do I have enough room on my calendar to do it? Because it was, uh, you know, the road system in Alaska, it I figured it out, it would have taken me 16 hours to drive there uh, from Anchorage to Haines, Alaska. No, they don't make underwear in Haines. Just in case you're wondering. It, there's hardly anything there. But that's where he was working that summer. And then I thought, well, I could fly. And then it cost, I think it was like $1,200 to fly. And it's not that far. This is like, you know, from here to San Francisco or something. It's that far. I mean, by air. So it's, it's really expensive to fly there. It takes a long time. And I, and I made the decision that I would not go. And in, instead, you know, we talked on the phone a lot. But I, in regret, I regret not going to be with him in that Kairos time in his life. And I've told him that. I've, I've apologized for that. I said I was not the best dad. I tried, but I didn't, there wasn't anything on my calendar that was more important than you. And I wanted you to know that. <laughs> uh, if I could do it over, you know, that kind of stuff. But these Kairos moments, they do come up. By the way, he's happily married to the right woman, <laughs> and uh, they live you know, in, in Michigan, but uh, that's another story. So we can miss these moments in our lives if we're too busy. Secondly, um, I want you to notice that Jesus here is, because this time is so significant, and you know, just remember he's hours away from doing the most significant thing ever, dying on a cross. He's carrying, we might say, the weight of the world on his shoulders. That he's carrying some very, very deep pain that would be beyond anything that we could ever experience and a heaviness. And yet, he is thinking about other people. He's thinking about these guys. He's serving these guys. He's showing them what God is like. He's training them for the future. He's focused on others. And I know that is so hard. I think, I think mothers can, can kind of approach that the way they operate. 
but not like Jesus, this one. What, I, what I've noticed with people is that the more pain they have, the more weight they carry, the more self-absorbed they are. The more self-pity they feel, the more moping they do on the inside, the more life isn't fair. And Jesus had the right to do all of that stuff, but he doesn't do it. He focuses on other people. He serves other people. You know, there's this thing in life called, uh, it's, not, it's not like it's in the Bible, but you'll, you'll, it is in the Bible, really. It's just not called this, but it's called the law of least love. So here's how the law of least love works. That the person in the relationship who loves the most is the one that gets hurt the most. Witness my son. He was the one that got... And the person who loves the least is the one who is in control of the relationship. Right? Does that make sense? They're the ones that... I mean, if you've been on the wrong end of a, of a romance, uh, you know what I'm talking about. You're not in control of... You love the most, and you're not in control of that relationship. The other person is. So just think about God that way. How the law of least love applies to him. He loves the most, and he's about to get wounded in the worst way. Rejected, denied, betrayed, on and on, deserted, nailed to a cross in the worst place ever. And yet, he just keeps giving. I, just, I bring all this up because it's who God is. Now, here's the third point. Back to our little statement that we said together earlier. I can try harder to do good because I know I should. How far is, how far is that going to get you? Wouldn't it be better to have this Christ energy and I, mean, I don't mean to be weird on that one because Christ, here's the way the New Testament talks about it. Christ in us. That's how Paul puts it. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of the world. Christ in me, my hope for life. Function, him, his life functioning in me. The one who served, who came from there to there. In me functioning so that I'm not self-pitying or moping around. I need Christ in me. I need him to be my operating system, not myself, you see. This is why it's not about trying harder. Be glad for that or doing the things you should. It's about clinging to Christ. So two chapters later in John chapter 15, as Jesus again, same night, same time he's teaching, he he gives you a metaphor for how this works. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The sap that runs through me will run into you. That make sense? Think of yourself as a branch. And if you're organically and vitally connected to the vine, the life of Jesus who serves flows into you. So I'm not going to tell you you should serve more. I'm going to just encourage you to invite Jesus into the deeper places, the deeper places of the heart. And we're going to just do that right now. I want you to just close your eyes and I'll try to form a prayer that works for, for all of us here. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, uh, we slow down right now into some Kairos moments perhaps for some that's outside of 
time on the clock, just those moments, Lord, where we meet with you, the real me before the real you, moments that define our lives. And as we go there, bring to mind family and uh, relatives and acquaintances and neighbors and co-workers, Lord, those people who might need a touch, who might need to see an act of service to know that love is real. How grateful we are, Lord Jesus, that you were not too busy to find me, each of us here. How grateful we are that you were not absorbed with yourself as you felt pain. But you thought of us. You thought of each one of us. Oh, Lord, we need to be more like you, and the only way we can do that is open our hearts up more to you. Come, Lord Jesus, come and dwell in us branches. May we abide in you, our vine. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.